it's been an eventful and happy seven years and I was so blessed and encouraged by Beacon in more ways than I can think of. Yeah, so I'm just so thankful to God and I'll miss Beacon tremendously. And uh, yeah, um, let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for tonight um, as we study your word today, tonight that you would uh, bless our time together, that uh, you would, we would know you better and we would love you more uh, as, as we uh, dive into your word. Uh, thank you and Jesus name I pray. Uh, there are many reasons why we become discontent in our life. Ecclesiastes is a book that illustrates so clearly about the futility of this life. Up to this point, we have learned about the vanity of wisdom, relationships, pleasure, labor, and status, among others. Life is just full of frustration, disappointment, and struggle. However, Solomon also emphasizes that in the midst of frustration and struggle, life is a gift from God to be cherished and enjoyed. Uh, you have heard the movie called The Pursuit of Happiness, right? Um, the truth is, our relentless pursuit of happiness often comes up empty because we are pursuing the wrong thing. Uh, tonight, we'll be talking mostly about wealth. Uh, just like other topics we talked about, wealth also brings much frustration and vexation. However, Solomon shows us that there is a better way. Uh, some of you might be wondering why all this money talk even talk is even relevant to you guys. Like you might be thinking, I don't have much and all I want to do is to graduate and get a decent job and I'll be fine. You know, I can assure you that if you don't have a right attitude toward wealth right now, it would be much harder to have a right attitude toward wealth when you have something. If you're not generous today, today, it will be much more difficult to be generous later. Uh, same thing with your pursuit of significance and power, which we would address as well tonight. It is easier to have the right perspective today than to try to change it later. It will be a huge hindrance to your spiritual walk if you don't have a proper God-honoring perspective on wealth and power. Look no further than what Jesus said when he said in Matthew 6 that you cannot serve God and money. Uh, in this passage, uh, Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 5 and 6, Solomon offers three problems why we get disillusioned with this life. And he offers one remedy on how we, we can battle this. Three problems are injustice at the hands of the powerful, uncontrolled desire to get more, and uh, being insignificant and unworthy. Uh, chapter 5, verse 8, says this. Uh, verse 8. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter. For the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. Verse 9. But this is, this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. The first, first point is vain pursuit of justice and power. Solomon describes a simple system of society, violation of justice and righteousness. It is pervasive, like we see it 
in every level of society. Even the best government is far from perfect. People in power will abuse it, manipulate the system for their own advantage. One CPA that I know share how difficult it is to tax the rich. People who has it, they will figure it out to get around it. Solomon tells us that the ruler is not interested in truth or justice, but keeping things orderly for the sake of cultivated fields. In other words, the king is more driven by greed than justice. Solomon tells us that don't be surprised at such things. It is just a fact of life. Don't get bent out of shape as someone's unjust gain or their undeserved promotion. I've seen in my career where people seem to get promoted not based on their merit, but based on who you know. People who seem to be more interested in getting to know the right person and playing the game will get ahead, ahead of you. Um, I still remember an older gentleman at work telling me, hey, it seems that harder I work, further behind I get. Not all jobs are created equal, but injustice does exist wherever you go. The Bible is clear that things like this will happen. So don't be amazed at the matter, verse 8. In this fallen world, justice is really a luxury. Don't get me wrong, we should pursue justice and equity. Since our God is a God of justice, and we are commanded to pursue justice. However, it is prudent to temper your expectation and do not be surprised when it happens to you. For Christians, however, there is a reason not to be disillusioned or overly pessimistic, and we'll get to that later. Another, another aspect that we see from uh, this text is that the pursuit of power is also vain. There will always be someone higher than you that you will give an account to, verse eight. And it seems that everyone is in, in it for himself and you will need to fend off those who try to take your spot. Along the way, in this pursuit of your own gain, you would dehumanize those below you, the very people who are made in the image of God. In desiring to get power and status, you will see people as a means to get to your goal. But the irony, irony is that you'll never get to where you want to be. So don't get disillusioned with power. Next problem Solomon talks about is a vain pursuit of wealth and prosperity. Uh, chapter five, verse 10 through verse 14 says this. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is, a, is vanity. When goods increase, increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches are kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son and he has nothing in his hand. Uh, during the NBA lockout in 1999, uh, that's almost 20, more than 20 years ago, uh, Patrick Ewing of the New York Knicks made this infamous comment. Um, he said, people complain that pro athletes make a lot of money, 
But what they don't understand is that we need a lot, a lot of money because we spend a lot of money and just people went crazy. <laughs> Greed is one of those subtle sins that is hard to detect, but it is just as devastating as more obvious sins. Greed knows no bound. Whether you have a lot or a little, greed does not discriminate. Uh, I guess you could say that um, it's an equal opportunity, <laughs> you know, this, whatever. And verse 10 says this, that the greedy man is never satisfied and there is no end in their pursuit for more. Rockefeller, one of the wealthiest men alive at the time, famously said when asked, how much is it, how much is it enough? And he answered it by, by saying just a little bit more. Another time, he was asked, which one is your favorite million you made? And he said, my next million. It is a horrible addiction that does not deliver. This desire for more is not just confined to rich people. In my own life, when I first got my raise, I was like super happy. And that it was actually pretty good too. Uh, I was happy until I found out that my friend got an even bigger raise. I was like, that made that I, I got totally bummed out. And also right out of college, it took me a while to find my first job. So, you know, you kind of become desperate because you can't find a job. And then I told myself that if I could just make X amount of money, I'll be happy forever. Well, once I got to that point with increased responsibility and fixed expense, I wanted more. It just wasn't enough. On verse 11, Solomon tells us that with more money comes more responsibility. Reminds me of a song, More Money, More Problem from like 20 years ago. If anyone knows that song. Others will be expecting more from you. Often you hear about how a Basketball player signs his first big contract and all his friends and family members that he hasn't seen in years come out of the woodwork. And recently, uh, to combat uh, Seattle's homeless problem, one of the ideas that floated around and gained traction was to tax Amazon, which predictably made Jeff Bezos very angry. So the reasoning was you make a lot of money, so you help us relieve this homeless problem. More money, more is expected. Whether it is overt or covert, people will be expecting more from you and the weight of expectation has crushed and brought anguish to many people. Money also has a way of consuming you. In verses 12 through 14, Solomon tells us that an abundance of rich men permits no sleep. The prospect of losing money keeps them worried, keeps them awake at night, and it works people silly. They are worried because all that wealth that they accumulated can just vaporize in one bad venture. Money is also a terrible idol that ruins the lives of many. Uh, if you look at the program, there's uh, uh, First Timothy uh, chapter 6. Uh, Paul warns us in First Timothy chapter 6, verse 9 through 10 that but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, 
into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. We hear and see that a lot in those, a lot of, a lot in those around us or in the news, right? And verse 10 says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Notice that it doesn't say that love, uh, money is a root of all kinds of evils, but the love of money is. Some people even walk away from the faith because they love money so much. Pastor Alistair Beck offers a few questions to diagnose our heart to see if we love money. He says this, I am guilty of money when, number one, thoughts of money consume my day. Two, others' success makes me jealous. Three, I define success in terms of what I have rather than what I am in Christ. Four, my family is neglected in my pursuit of money. Five, I close my eyes to the genuine needs of others. Six, I am living in the paralyzing fear of losing it. Seven, I am prepared to borrow, borrow myself into bondage. Eight, God gets my leftovers rather than my first fruits. Solomon tells us that all that effort amounts to nothing in the end. No one takes their money to the grave. Steve Jobs accomplished a lot in his life and changed the way we, we have come to know this world. Died billionaire at the age of 56. Do you know what he said at his deathbed? Nonstop pursuit of wealth will only turn a person into a twisted being just like me. All that wealth left him perplexed and empty. On the other hand, the man with the similar name, Job, had a different testimony. When he lost everything, he made this incredible confession in Job 121. The naked I came from my, my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job, not Jobs, recognized that all that he has came from the Lord, and his worth was not tied to his wealth. Third problem is the vain pursuit of immortality and significance. Chapter 5, verse 15 through 17. Uh, no, uh, through uh, Chapter 6, verse 9 says this. Uh, verse 15, as he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry, carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who, toil, who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness in much vexation and sickness and anger. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet, God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things. 
and he also has no burial. I said, I said, I say that a stillborn child is better off than him. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to the one place. All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Uh, you hear this phrase a lot in TV commercials, which is a satisfaction guaranteed. However, Solomon is saying that satisfaction is not guaranteed. And you know that it's a lie, right? When you watch a commercial and someone says satisfaction guaranteed. Um, it's an endless acquisition without satisfaction. Strangers get to enjoy the fruit of his labor. And for some reason, this guy doesn't even get the proper burial. Solomon is saying that stillborn child is better off not having to deal with this meaningless rat race called life. Death is a great equalizer as it renders everything meaningless. meaningless. Our desire is always traveling, yet, never arriving here today gone tomorrow basically when all is said and done solomon is basically saying who cares now remember the time when you played uh, your hardest in wacf basketball tournament i haven't been to one but i know that this happened okay you hustle and play like crazy to impress somebody in the crowd but guess what most likely, she was more interested in talking to her friends than watching you play. Sounded harsh, but no one will remember that game-winning jump shot that you made that day. Sure, it was pretty amazing in your mind, but in the grand scheme of things, if you consider your entirety of life, there's so little significance in anybody's life. In the end, no one cares. <laughs> We all tend to think that the world revolves around us. The truth is that most people don't care about us as much as we spend our time obsessing about what others will think of us. We come in naked, we go out naked. That is just another fact of our life. That has a 100% claim rate and all that effort and toil make no sense. Powerful people in history, such as Qin Shi Huang recognized this issue of mortality that he painstakingly looked for the herb that will supposedly keep him from dying. Well, lo and behold, he is dead. You want to be significant, but more likely, no one will remember you for your good works and you won't get to enjoy the fruit of your labor. One day, all will be lost. What gain is there in making money? Remember that you won't be able to take it with you. Finally, the remedy, the pursuit of contentment, uh, chapter 5, verse 12, and verse 18 through 20. After all that depressing stuff, Solomon offers his remedy. 
Not that Solomon's answer will make your problems disappear, but it will help you think differently about these issues. Remember that the right thinking always precedes right action. It's not a call to passivity or laziness, but call to purse the right thing. Solomon contrasts a person who relentlessly pursues wealth with one that finds enjoy, enjoyment and contentment in work. In chapter 5, verse 12, he says, Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Verse 18 through 12, 20 says this, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toils with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. He enjoys it because he sees it as a gift of God, not something he earned. To him, God is the source of his joy, so he doesn't remember toils. His solution is to look for satisfaction or contentment in small things in life. Things like good friends, good food, even good community like Deacon. Just being, being aware of God's providence in all things. Verse 18 tells us to enjoy the fruits of our toil, for this is our lot. This is our lot, a portion that God has assigned to us. Solomon is saying that enjoyment is more valuable than possession. Focus more on that aspect. Having more doesn't mean that you enjoy life more. I doubt Steve Jobs had a lot of quality time with his family or got to enjoy his wealth. More likely, he probably was an insufferable dude. Learn to value them more. See everything you have as a gift from God. We recognize that every good and perfect gift comes from the sovereign hands of the Lord, and we receive it, receive it gladly and enjoy it. We, rec we recognize that God is in some distant deity somewhere out there, but he is involved in every detail of our life. Even in small things, we tend to take it for granted. He is imminent. We cannot escape from him. Psalm 139 tells us, that how, tells us how we cannot escape from the watchful gaze of our Heavenly Father. If we hold on to our possession tightly, then you open yourself to a devastating harm that money can have on you. Instead of enjoying our possession, we let, we let it enslave us. Paul says in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 through 8, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take, in, we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we, if we have food and clothing, with this, we will be content. Paul says contentment with godliness with contentment is great gain. Think of how that will transform our Christian life. As a gospel Christian, we know that we don't deserve anything. In fact, we have it way better than we deserve. What will happen to Christian marriage, for example? We will see our spouse as a, as a grace. 
divorce rate among Christians would plummet, wouldn't it? The impl implication of being an authentic Christian is just staggering. The same principle applies to just about every sphere of our life. The challenge for American Christians is that we live in a society of entitlement. We live in the most litigated society in the world. We are fortunate to live in a society where we are entitled to certain rights and we should enjoy those rights. But be mindful that the gospel points us to a different direction. Any good we have is by his grace. We are not entitled to anything. After all, we serve the king who gave up his kingship and all the rights and privilege to serve, to serve and save his people. We leave our future in the hands of God, entrust our lives to his loving care, and it prepares us for both prosperity and adversity. We accept what God has done, bring ourselves submission to what God has done. Contentment comes from knowing God and delighting in his sovereign goodness and fatherly care. The reformer Martin Luther said this, enjoy, enjoy the things that are present in such a way that you do not put your confidence in them as if they're going to last forever. In these prosperous days, reserve a part of your heart to God so that by his grace, you can bear, a, bear the day of your adversity. The Puritan Thomas Bexton said this, take what, give, take what God gives and praise him still through good and evil. Really, the answer is in the real jewel of Christian contentment. When Paul talks about the destruction that the love of money leaves in his trail, he starts off by saying, godliness with contentment is a great gain because it benefits, it, its benefit is just tremendous. In Philippians chapter four, verse 11 through 12, Paul says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Paul says he has learned. Contentment is a learned behavior. He goes on to say in verse 12, I know how to be brought low and I know how to be, how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. It is a secret in life and it is independent of how much you have. Contentment is the only way to be free from trappings of money. Learning to be content with where we are and learning to be content with less. If you find contentment in Christ, everything else will be in proper perspective. Even your job search right out of college, you have something else to look for other than money and prestige. If you are content with what God has given you, it will keep you from chasing money and prestige. We no longer see work as a means to get wealth and possession, but as a gift of God to be enjoyed and a vehicle to worship God and follow his call in our workplace. When you find your contentment in work, instead of worrying about what your next raise will be and doing everything you can to get ahead, you can be more intentional in honoring God at work. Uh, let me share some helpful principles to uh, keep in mind at your future job. 
I mean, I borrowed this from the book by uh, Daniel Doriani. I highly recommend it. It's called The Work. Um, he says, principle number one, we will strive for God-like justice, faithfulness, and love. Love includes a generous spirit and mercy toward failure. Principle number two, we'll apply God's law, especially the Ten Commandments, to all work. Principle number three, we will promote worthy causes and goals. Principle number four, we'll look for people we can serve, develop, and protect. Principle number five, we'll follow the examples of heroes at work. We are always apprentices, learning to practice the faith by following experts. Look with me again to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verse 17 through 19, Paul says this. Verse 17, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the, on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Again, uh, God provides and we enjoy his provision. We set our hope on solid rock in Christ, not sinking sand of riches. We don't lose sleep over losing money because we don't set our hope on uncertainty of riches. Verse 18 says, They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. By doing that, we can truly live this life as God intended to live. The remedy is not in hoarding, but generously sharing, sharing and enjoying, storing up treasure in heaven, not living for here and now, fundamentally different than what, we, what the world leads us to believe. The antidote is really summarized in verse 18. Do good, be rich in good works, be generous and ready to share. Then these things will keep you from enslaved by money. When it comes to justice, we understand, we understand that in this fallen world, we'll always have injustice, inequity. We understand no amount of legislation, education reform, or politics will eradicate the injustice we sometimes so painfully feel all around us. Uh, even when the Netherlands elected a reformed theologian, Abraham Kuyper, as its prime minister, it didn't have a lasting influence on society. Uh, those, um, Issues like prostitution didn't get eradicated. However, uh, scripture calls us to do justice, Micah 6, 8. We know that the same gospel power that worked in our heart is still working in the hearts and minds of countless people at the present. We trust God and seek to transform one soul at a time by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and loving our neighbor. Surface level change won't do. Only the heart transformation of the individual will do. We set our hope in God. We live in a hope of better administration. In this side of eternity, we'll never have a just society, but we can become the salt and light of this world by sharing the gospel message and doing justice in a sphere of life, however small it may, it may be, knowing, knowing that the day will come when God's perfect justice will reign supreme and he will make all things right. 
We don't lose heart. We remain steadfast, immovable, and shall I say content in pursuit of justice, knowing, knowing the end of the story. Uh, let's mo move on to how pursuing contentment transforms the vain pursuit of immortality and significance. Jesus defeated death and brought the light of resurrection. We all have this unfulfilled longing. Good news is that Ecclesiastes are not God's final word. The gospel is. You find your worth in who you are in Christ, not what others think of you or what you have done. It stabilizes you and you are, no, you are not easily swayed and shaken by external circumstances because your identity is rooted in Christ. Christ is our supreme treasure and a pearl of great value and all other things pale in comparison. Not saying these other things are unimportant, but having contentment in Christ puts all other things in their proper places. Also, uh, another aspect of it is that our work now has eternal significance. We don't just work for here and now. First Corinthians 1558 says, therefore my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain, contrary to what your labor might look like here and now. This keeps us from seeking other people's approval. We have another master whom we need to give an account to. There are so many who work tirelessly and faithfully for the kingdom of God, yet no one remembers them. Yet, God knows, and you will be rewarded in a way that we cannot even imagine. Satisfaction guarantee. Uh, William Barclay, not the more famous one that uh, teaches universal salvation, <laughs> sums up the characteristics of contented Christians this way. The contented Christian recognizes that his citizenship is in heaven. He recognizes that he is just pilgrim and alien in this world. The contented Christian longs to depart and be with Christ, yet he carries on the work that Christ has given him to do. Contentment comes by recognizing the glorious things laid up in heaven. The contented Christian looks not to the things that are sin, but to the things that are unseen. He fixes his eye on heaven, recognizing that the afflictions of this life are merely preparing him for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. He longs for heaven, and his longing means contentment on earth. I would like to uh, end this message with a story. It all boils down to this. There was a pastor of a small struggling church. You know how a pastor has to do so much in a small church? One Sunday morning, as usual, he sent the Sunday uh, Sunday program to print shop. This time though, he forgot to include his sermon title. So the print shop uh, clerk called him and asked him to give that Sunday sermon title. Uh, so the pastor told him that the title of the sermon that day is The Lord is My Shepherd. I guess um, the, this pastor tended to have a lengthy sermon title. So the print shop clerk asked, is that it? And the pastor replied, yes, that is enough. That Sunday he went up to the pulpit to preach and he looked at the program. And he noticed that the sermon title 
said, the Lord is my shepherd. And yes, that is enough. He was moved to tears. After all, the ministry has been hard. But that Sunday, that simple truth ministered to him profoundly. The true contentment comes from the knowledge that we have all we need in Christ, and that is enough. Romans says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If we have this God who did not spare his dearest son, why wouldn't he give us all that we need? Even in the midst of injustice, greed, and our own sense of insignificance, we learn to be content in God's provision and his, his infinite wisdom. Again, thankfully, good news is that Ecclesiastes are not God's final word. The gospel is. I mentioned earlier that the contentment is a learned behavior. Uh, Andrew Davis says in his book, The Power of Christian Contentment, that as hard as it is, and as costly as the tuition of tuition for Christ, Christ's school of contentment is, few subjects of the Christian life will pay as many sweet dividends, both in this life and in the next. It is worth it to pursue these various jewels for the rest of your life, dear friends, and to see how God uses you to speak hope to the hopeless of to the hopeless of this world. When you display a practice skill and supernatural strength of Christian contentment in any and every circumstance, you will be infinitely wealthy in eternity and did a host of transformed people into heavenly glory behind you. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for the glorious gospel that teaches us that we have all we need in Christ. I ask you to uh, bless our time together in small group as we talked about this, uh, the pursuit of contentment that um, we'll just pursue the right things. And I ask that you will keep us from uh, pursuing the wrong things. Uh, thank you and just in my prayer.